welcome to episode number 16 of the Prodigy podcast. I am honored to have on today, um, as Henry Cejudo would say, the triple C. Um, uh, we were just talking about how um, we can't even be non-competitive when it comes to gaming. And Ash, you're a pretty big nerd. Yeah, I'm um, quite religiously, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I did all the nerdy subjects in school. Uh, I game, you know, I'm pretty much not cool. Apart from think- jiu-jitsu. I mean, jiu-jitsu instantly makes you about a thousand times cooler anyway, right? Yeah, I say too often, like uh, my coach, um, Chris, I say to him all the time, like if you were, if you didn't do martial arts, like technically you would be like a fat kid who got bullied all the way through his life. Um because like he can't like he's not really sporty, you know. Like, even the kids won't pl- pick him for um, football in the gym. You know, like he, he went on like the kids' team and scored an own goal, and all the kids were like, "No, get off the mat, no one wants you." <laughs> but like, obviously, like he just stuck to you know, he just uh, just kind of like uh, he just loved it, and he just happened to be very good at it, you know, and just carried on doing it. So, uh, just definitely ups your coolness by um, a significant amount, yeah. And at least two hundred percent, at least. <laughs> Um, so we're talking about mindset today and it's something that you're really passionate about and it's something that um, you've uh, often raised about kind of it's not just like uh, competing is kind of part and parcel with competing so kind of as like an opening like how in terms of your mindset if you were to describe how you how your mindset or how you approach your mindset for competition now what would that be um, so the biggest reason I believe like mindset is uh, the thing that's underrated the most in jiu-jitsu is because if you take a generic class or a, you know, any gym in the world, you can take any gym in the world essentially and you will always have a primary or like elite or best competitor within the gym. You know, you'll always have someone who's like the best on the mat. Um, and I'm not talking about like uh, whether they compete at a high level. I'm talking about, you know, just they are the best at jiu-jitsu within that gym. And the reason why you, you look at mindset is because even if you take physical attributes to one side, or you, even if you take physical attributes into the equation, um, you know, often when you look at a lot of jiu-jitsu players, they're not actually, unless you look at the top, top tier, they're not actually physically attributed like significantly higher than an average person. You know, in my belief, like a lot of people who walk into jiu-jitsu, they are not genetic freaks before they start, you know. Uh, you know, we were talking about the fact that it's quite geeky, you know, the sport itself is a bit yeah. geeky. And if anything, it appeals more to um, that, uh, the, uh, a person more inclined um, in like a methodical or, um, uh, you know, like they, they're more interested in the art itself as opposed to the athleticism of the art. Uh, I believe like it appeals to a lot of people like that. So when you look at a gym and you take a cut across the board and then you, and, you know, you ask someone like, oh, how long have you been training or how many sessions do a week? Often in jiu-jitsu gyms, the, the answer to those questions are, is always a very long time and they train actually quite consistently. You know, like a lot of my students train almost as much as I do. You know, they, they, they're at the gym for the same amount of hours in a day that I am. So what is the definitive factor between my progress compared to their progress? And that that's why I always challenge people to think about uh, all the time is the fact that when you take these Nicky Ryans, Gordon Ryans of the world, um, and these guys burst on the scene, you know, they, there are some guys, like, you know, the real Toros, they've done it since they were kids, you know, like realistically for them to be bad would actually be harder for them to be good. 
Yeah. You know, because they've done it for so long. But even then, there's other kids who've done it for the same period. There's other adults who've done it for the same period of time they've done it for and have not progressed anywhere near the same amount as they do. The reason I talk about that so much is because the, the easiest thing you can compare it to is the schooling system in the UK. You know, every single person has to go to school from nine till three, regardless. You know, you have to go. It's not a choice. So why doesn't why doesn't everyone get an A star? You know, when it comes to GCs, why do they not get 13 A stars? Why do they not get full A, A's and A level? And realistically, it's the effort and the amount of attention they give whilst they were at the lessons and classes. And then it's what they did with the information they were shown and told. And then it's the output of that information after the fact. You know, like a lot of time, basically, like learning is, is, is quite straightforward on the face of it. You know, it's simply a fact of you receive information from someone, your brain analyzes it and does whatever it does with it, and then you output that information somehow. You know, that's that's just what learning is. That's the process of learning. So if you take a classroom like in jiu-jitsu, you know, I say uh, one of the easiest places actually to think about this is um, Henzo's. It's my favorite thing to discuss with people because people always go like, do you think Dana is the best coach in the world? And I say he's a brilliant coach, but there, there's literally no statistical uh, there's nothing to back up the fact that he's the best coach. Isn't How would you quantify that? You know, it's a very difficult thing to quantify. And then when I say to someone, okay, cool, you know, you believe he's the best coach in the world, no problem. I go, right, name me as many students as you can off the bat right now that are world-class athletes within that gym. And obviously you go Gordon, then you go, and then you used to go like Gary, Nicky, uh, you used to say Eddie Cummins. And then maybe you'd go to your Ethan Cranstein and Alvataza. Now you've got Nicky Rod, you know. But once you go through these first five, six guys, the the depth isn't is yeah. there or doesn't seem to be there. Um, but if you say to them, right, how many students do you think are in Henzo's? It's got to be a couple of thousand. Yeah, at least. Yeah, so you're naming five or six guys of a couple of thousand. So if you compare this to the school system, you've got thousands of kids going to school every day and only a couple of those guys or kids will get the A-stars, you know, will come out with the top grades. And essentially in jiu-jitsu, that's what being a high-level competitor is, isn't it? Or receiving your black belt. It's essentially like the equivalent of getting very high grades in a very difficult uh, degree or A-level, etc. You know, that's how I compare it to. And essentially, if you can, if you think about that then, uh, the only thing that could differentiate those students and people, they're in the same classes, they're there for the same amount of time, they're doing the same work. So why is one person doing this progress rate and one person's doing this progress rate? And it has to come down to that individual's mindset. You know, I, I, I feel like jiu-jitsu, unfortunately, like, um, I tell people a lot, it's like a tough sport. Not tough physically, it's tough mentally. Because... For example, showing up and training and getting the f- physical fatigue is the very bare minimum you'd have to do for progress. And that's not even impressive. Yeah. You know, turning up and being sore, you have to do that. It's, a, it's an absolute minimum requirement to progress within the art of jiu-jitsu. Now, what most people don't take into account is the, the, the mental fatigue and how much you should be use, utilizing your brain whilst you're at the jiu-jitsu classes. So... The biggest thing I think which makes an athlete... So, for example, if I go to a seminar, I went to a Gordon seminar, I've been to a few different seminars with uh, high-level guys. My favorite question is always to do with their mindset. It's nothing to do with their technique. Yeah. 
because there's so many instructors out there in the world right now. And um, I always enjoy talking to high-level athletes. I think they're really fun to kind of delve into their brain and see what you know what's ticking back there. Um, but I guess so many students come up to me and go like, oh, man, I'm, I feel like I'm training so hard. I just can't progress. So you see guys quitting because they, they feel like they're not getting better. And I, I haven't really got the answer for them. I haven't, I haven't got a, uh, like, it's hard you know, to quantify hundred percent. You can't just sit there and be like, Oh man, I know the answer to your problem. If you do this, I guarantee you progress because often like, um, the typical response to not seeing progress in jujitsu is to train more. I, and I hate that. I think it's the most, it's the biggest waste of your time you could do. If you're not already progressing with four sessions a week, if you add a fifth session a week, how do you believe you're now gonna start automatically progressing again? Like what you should do is you should you should have a look at how you're utilizing those four sessions and then create a better um goal set in long term, short term. Um I think like if you know if you don't turn up to a jiu-jitsu class with a goal set in your mind, that's mental. Like you're you're literally like man, you're like shooting blind you know like it, 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 you cannot get to where you want to get to if you don't go in with goals already set so i know the, you know the original question asked about mindset with my mindset to compete but i honestly believe the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get your mindset in the gym correct because so for, well i was going to ask in terms of goals then is that uh like going into it's a bit like your analogy i was thinking about was uh similar to if you're gonna try and lift like the heaviest weight at the gym like there's no point if you're not setting goals and to progress 100 you know, i've got goals in my head for my strength conditioning and where i would like to be within like six months 12 months 18 months you know and i i kind of would like to be able to lift x y and z by that time um with jiu-jitsu i feel it's a bit more difficult to just be very straightforward the goal setting because um the biggest thing that changes within jiu-jitsu similar to i talk with my students about this all the time uh, i don't know if you've watched it there's a program called uh, queen's gambit on netflix yeah um have you watched it yeah i've watched i'm halfway through okay so i think i think it's brilliant like i think it's absolutely fantastic and it's not about the chess for me it's about the person like it, it, her as a character and the way uh she analyzes stuff and the way she approaches stuff uh is incredible um and obviously the, the reason i'm bringing that up is because i say to my, my students all the time is jiu-jitsu gets compared to chess and it's actually a really unfair analogy it's a really unfair analogy because chess is turn-based but jiu-jitsu is not turn-based so it seems like a wild wild concept i understand the strategy and the fact that obviously you are you are basically utilizing moves so a turn to force your opponent to maybe take a turn or a move they don't want to take and that's about as far, uh, like uh, you know, the starting into that analogy from my point of view is essentially, you know, you're trying to take turns and you're trying to force your partner to take turns that maybe they necessarily don't want to take, or you're allowing them to take a turn so that you can manipulate that to get a free turn. So when it comes to goal setting in the gym, the biggest issue you have is you cannot control what your partner is going to do. So I often say to my students, I come in, I go, right, boom, what's your goal set today? And they say, right, I've got this guard passing and I'm going to try and work. And I'm like, cool. And then I pair them up with someone and that person will wrestle them and take them down and now they're on bottom. So they've got a five-minute round. And I say this to a lot of people, you know, if you if you just take five-minute round and then you expand it and you look at that over the whole class. If, if for example, uh, I was to spar with, I don't know, let's say 
uh, a purple belt who's 70 kilos. And let's say, hypothetically, I've got better wrestling. So that purple belt comes to class and his rounds today just so happened to be with me. They've got three five-minute rounds with myself and they came to class with the, the mind, the, the goal in mind of passing guard. They want to attempt a pass. So I take them down at the start of the round. Now, five minutes is on the clock, and this five minutes is their learning time. You know, this time is a time that they've got basically to attempt techniques and then collect information and, you know, the the what they what they output will give them data to take back. They can analyze that data and then make the best decision possible. But against someone who either can beat you in the area you're trying to practice or doesn't allow you to get to the area you want to practice – Essentially, the clock is now actually just ticking against you. It's not working for you. You know, the time is no longer with you. It's against you. Because every minute that clock goes and you're not able to get to where you want to be for your goal, you're actually just losing time of learning. So that's why uh, Dan had put out a post, like, uh, I think it was a year ago or so, uh, so ago, and he talked about the fact that a high percentage of your spot needs to be with people of a lower level. I've 100% what I believe is the best advice you can give someone. Again, a, the typical jujitsu attitude would be to want to spar against the best guys all the time. But the truth is, you're going to be learning defense anyway. Because every time you make a mistake, you automatically have to now work defense. But how would you work offense against someone who's better than you? You can't. So if you ever decide that your goal that day is to work someone offensively, you're essentially actually making the clock go against you, not for you. Whereas if you spar with someone that you could control the tempo of the round with and you could um, practice a technique on them, then obviously the clock is not working for you. So, you know, your 25 minutes or 30 minutes of sparring or whatever you've got that day, you could probably get a good 18, 19, 20 minutes of that 30 minutes in your favor where you're utilizing it to practice. Where if you only spar against guys who are better than you, you're probably actually going to have 25 out of that 30 minutes working against you where you're actually trying to just get back into the match over and over again. And you're so far away from your goal that it's not, it's, it was point of setting in the first place. So when it comes to goal setting for me, I tried to have like a couple of goals working at the same time. So one of the easiest ones would be obviously would be to have something from guard, let a guard you're playing, have a passing game that you kind of want to utilize and have a takedown or wrestling, uh, either like a guard pull or a takedown that you'd like to try and implement into your game. But obviously they could go together. You know, like if you're guard pulling, you, you've got a guard you want to work on. If you're passing, you want to get a tech. You can't work a guard pull and a, and a, and a guard pass. Do you mean they, they don't connect. But if you think about those three things, they happen every grapple regardless of who you're with. It's impossible not to be one of those situations. You, you start standing, they pull, but right? you just practice the pass that you had planned that day. You know, you start to wrestle. They want to wrestle. You decide you want to wrestle. You practice the wrestle. You might lose the wrestle. You're on your back. You practice the guard. You want to practice that day. You win the wrestle. You practice the pass. You want to practice that day. And if you just start there, then you can start to expand on that as time goes on. So, you know, you just keep adding layers. Because say um, say you're passing, you pass every single person's guard. You have to now get good submissions from side control, mount, and back attacks. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no there's the ladder doesn't progress. So it's, it's kind of finding that chain and, and keeping in mind the fact that it's going back to the chess thing. It's like you're you're both playing at the same time, so you need to know that 
you're both working defensive and offensively all at the same time. And if you just set goals across the board, then learning will never stop in that uh, five minutes. A hundred percent. So what I say about like, do you know the the um the scene in Queen's Gambit in the, I think it's the first second episode where she plays multiple people at the same time? Yeah. So my version of jujitsu would be that. So it'd be you're playing multiple people at the same time, but there's no turnover either. So basically you have to lo- you have to choose which games to lose and which games to win. Like I like so like I, I like if for example, you know, you taught a child a technique, often you would teach them um, you know, in the ABC manner, but especially with kids, you would be most particular about like point one, point two, point three, you know, you do this, yeah. So let's say there's like five points to a technique. You might be able to complete the technique with four out of the five. You know, you might be able to complete the pass with four of the main points out of the five. So, for example, if they're defending this one very, very hard, then you may as well lose that game and win the other four. Yeah. Because you will still complete the technique. But what people try to do, again, it's a very typical jiu-jitsu approach. Is one, they, two, three, four. Well, often they'll go, oh, you yeah. want to stop this one? And this is the only one then you fight. So you actually like say like they they like you know out of like five like uh between grip balance base head position hand position whatever they might try and start beating you on like one of the grips and then you're like oh, okay and then you're just like and you just bash heads for ages you know and you just spend so long but what I think is like all right cool like I'll lose this for now but I'll win these very heavily once I win these very heavily chance I'll actually just get this one for free and I'll win anyway. So when it comes to goal setting, I think that you know the the, the long term versus short term goal set needs to be um, very reasonable, uh, and I also think with short term goals, it's quite nice to set goals that are achievable. Um, you know, like you, you you always get the people in the gym who was like, you know, they, they might book a one to one, or they might come up to me in the class, and I'm like, oh. I'm on a struggle. I'm struggling to pass um, pass guards, and I go, okay, cool. I'm like, who do you spar with today? And you know, they might be a blue belt, and then they'll they'll name three black belts. And I'm like, you're not struggling to pass guard. You're really not. Yeah. Like your goal set compared to perce- like compared to like perception compared to reality. You know, you kind of need a reality check. You know, because you, you are looking at yourself as if you're losing, but when it comes to those type of battles when you're you know just significantly maybe outweighted or out um or, or less experienced than the person now your goals need to come in within uh parameters of expectations as well you know so like if for example i was trying to sweep maybe yourself say monday i might sweep you three times with the same technique but then tuesday i might sweep you twice and then thursday i might not even sweep you at all even though I'm trying very hard to still sweep with the same technique. Now, if you looked at that as a time frame, Monday to Thursday, you know, that's only four days. In my opinion, you have shown like monumental progress, even though in your head, you might be like, I wanted to pass the guard. Like that, that, that's not, you know, these goalposts are way further away from each other than, than you think. So that's why I think when you goal set, you've got to be very fair with yourself and fair with your sparring partners. If I set a goal for myself of to hit Baron Bolo, I could easily go pick like five white belts and Baron Bolo them. But then that's not really goal setting because I'm not keeping the reality check then as well, am I? You know, I'm setting a goal which is already achieved, which would mean progress would be very slow. 
you know, when when you are pushing against someone that you can already beat, or you try and techniques on someone you can already do it to, then unless you're trying variations or you are deliberately making it harder for yourself to achieve the outcome, then progress is very difficult. So I definitely think the idea of the competition mindset starts and ends in the gym, you know, like as in the goals you set there and really how you perform in the gym. Uh, some people perform better in competition than others, but realistically, 99% for me of my confidence comes from how I'm performing in the gym and how I currently, uh, how my team are currently feeling, you know? And how do you then keep yourself personally how do you keep yourself in check with those goals because um i think people will be able to learn a lot from what you've just talked about in terms of setting those goals but then in terms of kind of actually being responsible and keeping in mind that these things are short-term long-term mid-term um so for example um one thing one indicator for me when i started just one of the things that made me uh very hungry and sparring and very um keen to learn uh unfortunately it seems it seems really like not not a positive thing but it was it was it was belt chasing the chasing tags chasing belts and not in terms of i want i want that on my waist it was in terms of i wanted to be that level you know mm-hmm. and, I, and i tell people this a lot of time you know like uh you know you, you got different opinions across uh, everywhere in the world about belts and tags and you know like attendance trackers and, and whatever else the the truth is is you know you don't want to be you don't want to have the belt you want to be the belt level so like for example i would rather wear a white belt and then another 20 people in the room wear a white belt and then at the end of the at the end of the session i was going to guess people's belt level and i would be comfortable to do that knowing that i feel like everyone would tick the black belt box for me uh, same as Norgi, I'm happy to wear a white belt ranked rash guard, spar with 20 guys, and then them base their opinion of the sparring and then guess what level I am. And obviously, I would assume, again, they would take black belt. Um, and that's the, it's the, it's the difference. When people say chasing belts, it's, for me, it's not about chasing the belt as in physically. It's about wanting to be that level. So when I first started jiu-jitsu, I was a white belt, obviously. And I would just spar with one tag white belts as much as possible. You know, I would just spar them all the time until I felt like I was getting a consistently good, like, win rate against them, you know? But not just a case of, like, oh, could I? Like, a lot of people, like, the, the idea of tapping people comes into it a lot. You know, I was like, oh, did you win the round? And I was like, oh, did you submit him? Did you? Like, it's not about, I want to try and be like, if there's are, like a pie chart, like 100% of jujitsu, I would like to try and be better than that person. It, it, within the whole pie, you know, like the, everything about jiu jitsu, I want to be better than that person of. And this is one of the big principles that's helped me become uh, a higher level and being surrounded by primarily blue and purple belts when I was prepping for big tournaments, which I'll talk about now. But, you know, so I, you know, I'd always spell one tag white belts and I got my, then I get a tag on my white belt, then I'd spell two tag white belts. And basically, I would just keep pushing up with the goal of always trying to just keep moving forward in my progress and 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 move up the kind of ladder of jiu-jitsu you know yeah would i be sparring blue and purple belts and stuff as a two-leg white belt and try to beat them of course i would but then that's where the expectations against reality comes in if a purple belt what me i wouldn't be disheartened by that i would just really enjoy the experience and learn 
and try to learn what they were doing. I would be like, man, no. like I, I've got wicked, ex- really, really cool examples of this in tournament, um, which is outside the gym, but it's very similar. I fought a guy called Ilky Bullet um, twice as a brown belt, I think it was, uh, both in absolutes. I think he's a, he's a division above me. Um, oh, I fought lightweight in a tournament because it was known in featherweight. And um, he was using very, very good staples. Um, and up until this point, you know, my, my gym is in Swansea. We weren't traveling that much to compete. And, you know, back 10 years ago, probably like, yeah, seven, eight years ago when I was a brown belt, the level of tuition online was a lot lower. So, you know, you weren't getting as much research online and, and new instruction. Mm-hmm. So the idea of stapling was new. So he was just stapling my guard all every single time. Every time I pummeled in and I was like, right, cool, I've got I've got something set, he would staple it. And then he would pummel back inside. And he was always beating me on the leg pummeling. And like I remember I was losing the match, but I was like I was like thoroughly enjoying myself. I was like, man, this this is this is incredible. Like what this guy's doing to me. Like I gotta learn. I was like, this is this is insane jujitsu. Like, like I'm not even mad that I'm losing. Because like what I'm gonna take from this match from a loss, you know, the whole idea of you you win, uh you either win or you learn. Like that's just lies because you can learn at all times. You can always appreciate good jujitsu when it's happening to you. Or you can appreciate good jujitsu when you're doing it. But when I was in that match, I was like, man, this is this is incredible. So, like, obviously, if you took the pie chart of me against Ilki at that given time, his guard passing was just, you know, yeah. like, the, the, the level difference in, in that that area was disgusting. So, I had to go back and rectify that in my game. And then, a couple of months later, I fought a guy called uh, Windsor Ramos. Uh, he won the World Nogi that year. I fought him, and he beat me in the European Nogi final. Um, but didn't beat me, like trashed me, you know, like proper big cricket score, uh, like really gave me a beat down. But he was actually using Baron Bolo. And again, at that given time in my gym, we didn't know what Baron Bolo was. We actually, we literally just did not know it. No one had ever yeah. taught it. No one had done it. And um, I actually, I cut my head open halfway through the match and he's on my back and they're like, they're taping me up. And I remember I was like, I'm like, bro, like, what, what, what are you doing to me? <laughs> he was like, what, he was like, what do you mean? I was like, what, what technique is this? Like, what are you actually doing? Because I escaped the back and he did it to me again. Skipped back, did it to me again. He's like, oh, it's Berenbolo. And he said as if like, well, obviously it's just Berenbolo. <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. But like, I wasn't mad I was losing. I was like, man, this is incredible. I was like, this is awesome. Like, really good job, man. Because I'm going to go back and I'm going to research this and I'm going to make sure my team know this and we're going to progress off of this. But if you take that exact mentality and just shrink it down a little bit from competitive jiu-jitsu and put it into your gym what happens in gym environments too often is for example like um i know obviously i've never trained with yourself if i said you like what's your favorite guard what would you say to me butterfly okay excellent so if we were to grapple i would deliberately try to start in your butterfly guard but what happens in gym environments too often is everybody tries to avoid the best position of the other person and they mm. try to beat them where they are strongest because like in a gym it's very it's, it's almost like everyone knows each other's kryptonites you know you might go with someone and be like oh man like that guy tap quit the footlocks yeah. so if you want to win which you guys um, yeah you go for the footlocks but unfortunately in a gym environment unfortunately it's really weird yeah but the idea of winning is still very high on people's priority list. Yeah. People try and exploit everyone's weaknesses because, it, it, I mean, it goes back to an ego thing as well. Oh, massively. But that, that's my point. It's like your point shouldn't be to exploit a weakness. It should be to 
battle their strengths. Because again, like I, I, I would hedge a bet on it. But for example, if if you did like first score in, if for example in my gym, if we did first score between like twenty of our highest level guys, I would lose like maybe one round against each individual person. Mm-hmm. but I would beat them in the 95%. But what a lot of other people do, they do the opposite. You know, They get very, very good at one thing, and then they would lose 90%, but win where they're strong. Now, when you're lower level, I think that's actually a good tactic to get very, very strong in one position so that you've got like a, a hub. So I compare this to, like, say, like uh, you're an MMA fighter and you get rocked realistically imagine if you were drunk or rocked or anything where you're you know your uh mindset's impaired for a moment could you still do something on autopilot so for example i would i would like to think on autopilot i might be able to maintain top i might not pass but i'd maintain the top or i can maintain half guard and the idea of having like a safe position especially lower down is very very strong because it doesn't matter how badly you get beaten, all you got to do in your head is think, right, if I get to my like my little home, my little place where I enjoy being, I can at least start the match there and start to work. But the problem with that outlook is obviously that works when a lot of people are better than you and your sparring is very competitive. Mm-hmm. But once you get to a certain point where your sparring partners are still very good and could exploit your weaknesses if you make mistakes, you still then have to challenge them where they're good and not where they're weak. So I spend my whole training week. So for example, when I goal set now compared to when I used to, when I used to, my, my goals that used to be the whole, like just bow the guy, just, just a level above me and just keep trying to beat them everywhere. You know, trying to turn all around my game, play guard against them, play top against them. Uh, and don't just try to get that, that win, you know, but now my goal is always to look at who's on the mat and go, man, that guy's got a wicked wrestle scramble. Let's scramble with him. So like, some people try to slow down a scrambler where I try to out scramble a scrambler. Yeah. You know, some people then try to, th- try to slow me down and I go, well, cool, let's slow it down. And I try to beat him anyway. You know, like I, I did, um, I did a podcast the other day and I spoke about the, um, I call it the Hercules effect, which I think is a really, uh, wicked analogy. So essentially if you have you watched Hercules cartoon, so you know, he becomes mortal for a day, basically. You know, so he loses all his god powers, right? Now imagine you had like slider bars of attributes you could do within a gym gym environment, right? So you you bring all your twenty guys down the gym, and basically you just you just put them all back to default. Everyone's got the same strength, flexibility, speed, everything else. So attributes now become meaningless because everyone's even. I always ask people, do you still think your jiu-jitsu would be good? So, for example, in my opinion. Uh, if you take someone like Nicky Rod and talk away his attributes, yeah. um, even though he's still, he's still, I watch him and his scrambles and his wrestling and um, the way he moves is still phenomenal. But if you did actually take away his attributes, where would he land on the world level? Would he still be a black belt slayer? Would he still be ADC silver? Exactly. And in my opinion, I don't think he would be. You know, I actually don't think he would be. Um, but you can't test that. But my point is, if you treat every role as if that is the truth, then if you get out of something because you use strength, you know there's someone stronger out there than you. If you got out of something because you use flexibility, you know that's not going to work against everyone. You know, so it's like, like I like the idea of like a Hercules effect where basically your jiu-jitsu should be good regardless. Like I tell everyone, if you think like if it's points, submission only, 
like any rules that you think of, Casa, it doesn't matter what rules that you think of. If you actually just do better jujitsu than the other person, you'll win. Yeah, and it's the pie chart effect. It's are you a hundred percent like the whole the idea that um, if you go up, like you said, if you go up against someone and you decide, well, I know they've got a really good, uh, I know they they're really good at guard pulling or really good at guard, and you're like, well, I'm just going to avoid that. I just I just won't even bother trying to pass their guard. Have 100%. you are you better than are you better than them? And realistically, are you just you're just getting better at what yes. you're doing. So, for example, if, if I ask a person in my gym to spy, I go, oh, do you want to do a round? And they go, oh, here we go. I actually just go, oh, it's cool. Don't don't stress, man. Let's not spar. You go spar with someone easier then. You know, that's not a problem. Because, like, I, like you can't go into a role defeated. You can't go into a role already assuming you're going to lose. Like, there's all these things about your mindset. But all these things, if you can't control them in the gym, how would you expect to control them in competition? You know, if you if you were to take any um, profession or it doesn't doesn't matter in 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 general life, but essentially, as the pressure escalates, generically the ability to perform reduces, even though technically it shouldn't. Even though because you're performing the same task, just on a different environment. Uh, you know, that, again, Dan has actually got a great uh, like kind of speech he did about this about. Um, a guy come to school and put a ladder across two buildings and run across it and then put it on the floor. Uh, yeah. yeah. So like that, that, that analogy is a, a really brilliant analogy. You know, I don't know if it, it might be a true story. It might not be a true story, but you know, the, what, you know, when he told it, it's a brilliant analogy, but then obviously like, for example, for a lot of up and coming athletes, you know, like they might be struggling to pay their bills and then they win in a match or losing a match makes a difference between whether, you know, they're going to be able to train for the next week, go after them, get another job. Like, so it's very easy to say to someone, oh, just, just do exactly what you do in the gym because there's no extra pressure. Like, that's, that's not true because the outcome of the outcome of the match you, you're you currently going to have. Can you imagine taking that approach to MMA? Yeah. You know, in, in, in MMA, like, your win or loss literally means the difference between, like, getting, like, maybe cut from the UFC or going to the top 15. <laughs> like in one fight like that's that's the outcome but the problem is obviously if you allow that pressure to get to you then your generic your ability to perform is going to reduce so if you can't control all those things in the gym environment i always say to someone how would you expect to control them in a competitive environment so i actually i've i've trialed and tested a few different things with with myself as a guinea pig so for example uh when i fought tom halpin last weekend I actually had a McDonald's on the way to the venue. <laughs> now, I don't have a, I only had a chicken wrap, which a lot of people don't eat before they compete. But I would happily have, I don't know, anything. I'd happily have like a big, a, a big Mac meal two, three times over, and then just go and do twenty rounds in the gym on any given day. Do you mean I, I would? Ne- I would not bat an eyelid about eating and training. Or I wouldn't bat an idea about like having some chocolate, then training or, or competing. Like, and I never have done. And as I got more, exp- as I moved up the levels, I actually started to change my habits before competition. So I'd be like, oh no, I should eat a banana. I should have a protein shake before I compete. I, you know, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. But I, I spar really well in the gym every day. You know, I, 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 I spar very well in the gym. I perform very well in the gym every single day. So I just said to myself in my last match, uh, and I've been doing it every single match previously. Like before, I fought Ethan Crownstein. I was um, I had Weatherspoons 
because I, 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 I wear the spoons quite frequently with my, uh, before, like with the, with the boys or with my family, I go eat wear the spoons, I go train. So like, why would that affect my ability to perform on a stage? Yeah. So the fact you're not it, putting rituals in, exactly. It, it just, you're, you're then just putting onus on that ritual to mean something special that it can't be. A hundred percent. I actually just, um, I just finished, um, Darren Brown, um, Darren Brown's book. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's quite old, I, 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 but I've never been into reading, but I've, uh, made a conscious decision this year to improve certain aspects of my life. Um, including, for example, just treating competition like more normal. You know, I try to just treat it like I'm walking to the gym. I actually said to myself, when I, when I fought Tom Halpin, I, I, there's a guy in my gym called Tom Barry. And I literally was just sitting there, standing across the man. I was like, right, that's just Tom Barry. That's just Tom Barry, man. You're just going to tie up. Uh, and you would never, ba- you would never, ever, ever think like, this is going to be horrendous when I touch hands with Tom Barry. It might be a tough match. It might be a tough role, but I never touch hands feeling demotivated that I'm going to lose. So, I, I, go Sorry to interrupt, but that uh, I think something that is really thing is when you go into uh, the gym and you compete, uh, you, you know, have a round with someone. And even if you know them really well and they could be as strong as an ox, when they grab you, you don't go, Jesus, that's it. It's over. Yeah, no. When, when you go up to against some, someone in strong in a competition, yes. if you then they grab you and go, "Fuck, I'm never going to beat this guy because he's just too strong." So, for example, um, when I when I fought Rio Toro at the start of this year, um, I was just coming off the back of a slight neck injury, and I hadn't wrestled that much. My wrestling was still sufficiently good at the time. But mentally within myself, I didn't have faith in it. I didn't have faith in my body to with to hold up the wrestle. So in the gym, I was avoiding wrestling. Which if we go back to the pie chart idea, I'm actually going against my own logic. You know, I'm, I'm literally I'm literally going against myself. So for like three weeks leading up to it, I was I wasn't. I literally was like, oh man, I know I can win, but I was also having self doubt. And when I competed, that is exactly what happened. He grabbed hold of me, and I was like, oh my god, I can never wrestle this guy because he felt strong. So I literally like I just shut down, and and it took and it took me so long into the match to even start going right. No, you you can win it. You know you can win if you do if you if you start just believing in yourself. But obviously I'd already started bit, like digging my own grave, you know. And yeah, then, three weeks earlier than to that, hundred percent I had. And then when I fought Halpin or when I fought on squads, I literally was like, man, who? Who cares? Just go rock up. You know, man, like I actually was helping did a great interview about it. Helping did a great interview. He actually said himself, he was like, you know, you should be able to go party like last weekend, like compete this weekend. Cause you would go party and train on a Tuesday. Yeah. You know, like and not saying you should do it as perfect, you know, it's not perfect prep or anything, but this idea of perfect is it, just it's not there. It's impossible. You're chasing a ghost. Hundred percent, you know. So that's what again, like Darren Brown's book. He said about like superstitions and like uh, rituals and all this. He was like, if you logically think that the pants you're wearing on a day is going to make you perform better, like you, you, you already know it's not true. The only thing, the only thing he said about rituals, which he believes is positive, is the fact that placebo effect is proven to be true. So some things you could do as a placebo effect because I actually, I, I believe the McDonald's for me was a placebo effect because it didn't matter what I ate. I was like almost testing myself say, look, cause I, I sometimes I can't eat before I can be cause I get so nervous, mm-hmm. but I never get nervous on the way to the gym to train. You know, like two days ago, I literally went to Greg's scoffed two pasties and I did 10 rounds, you know, like, 
Yeah, I, if you and can I, do I, that, why ex- exactly? Why couldn't you do a competition day? Unless you're cutting like severe weight and other stuff, which is different for MMA. For jujitsu, you know, you should really just have your again, like you should control your mindset in the gym. And once you kind of like master that, you just start to move it forward, and then you put it into like lower competitions and higher competitions. You know, like I wish I'd go back in time and tell myself not to put so much pressure on myself. Because uh, I still get super nervous when I compete now. Uh, you know, I like I, I even with the help, and I was like, I was like for like three weeks out, I was like, oh, I might mess them and say I can't do it. Then I was like, no, no, don't be stupid, man. Let's just do this. Let's go. The next day, then I'd, I'd have a little two minutes in the day, and I'd be like. Oh, I don't think this is a good idea, man. Like this is gonna this is gonna be horrendous, man. This guy's gonna just like pull my leg off, and it, it you know it does happen. I think to a lot uh, to everyone almost, you know, like um except for select few maybe competitors in the world, maybe like um uh like Gordon probably has got sublime confidence in himself, you know, where like he it doesn't even enter his mind that he's gonna lose. I'm not really sure, you know, because it's impossible to say. And even with guys like that, they might not even say it out loud. You know, some I think some people don't like to say out loud about weaknesses um, because they'd rather just keep the pause, the positivity within them and, and um, almost like uh, push that out towards other people. You know, like you, you want other people to feel that positivity around you, you know? Um, so I, I, you know, like I said, as I said, like the, the, from day one, for me, I've been super competitive, super competitive, super driven. Like, did I plan to compete on a world level when I was a white belt? No. I only wanted to be better than myself. I only wanted to be better than like the next person in line to me. I only ever wanted to just keep moving forward with my goals, you know? And people ask me all the time about like uh, when I compete and how it feels and, you know, my reveling in victory for like a week. Like, you know, it's been a week since I fought for a player's title. And um, like, the, the, like, like the glory of it, like, literally lasted for like 10 minutes i won the belt and it, and um, it kind of goes back to what what you know what if you're if you're chasing that like and then similar it's kind of the uh uh what do they call it it's like the olympic effect right so you win the gold at the olympics right yep. that is the pinnacle for you know a lot of athletes but as an athlete if you then want to carry on after that like you then what are you chasing Yes, hundred percent. You know, like I, I have said uh, publicly, you know, and I've said plenty of times that my my overall goal will be ADCC, and that will be my focus from now until I retire. You know, like like that, like that, literally solely my focus. Like World Nogi will be uh, on that list as well, but uh, you know, I would trade a World Nogi title for an ADCC title hundred percent of the time. You know, mm-hmm. um, and everything I'm doing now within myself, within my training, within the psychology of stuff I'm doing, I'm reading books and, and researching stuff all the time. Um, it's all to do with the overall goal of ADCC. But this is the problem. I've always, I've thought about this already. Like if I go to ADCC and I don't do well, what am I going to do? Well, I'm probably going to try again and do, and do it. If I do ADCC, well, ADCC and I do well, now like I've got to move the goalposts. I am going to have to. I've got no choice but to move the goalpost because you, as an athlete, I don't believe you can ever just believe you're at, at the top of your game. You know, like, for example, like, uh, probably happened to Conor McGregor, you know, where, like, uh, you know, he's retired like three, four times, come back. But, you know, is he going to just keep coming back and beating the best in the game? Probably not, you know, because um, his incentives and motivations are probably a lot lower than uh, the guys in the division who need to win. You know, his want to win is high, but it's not it's not a need. Yeah. 
And that's why I say about myself, that's why I enjoy competing now because my need to win is relative, but my want to win is very high. Because I already have a gym, um, you know, I could retire tomorrow and I wouldn't, by no means would I be well off or anything, but I would be able to live a happy life. So when I compete, I just enjoy it now. I just enjoy it. And I think like that basically it's a reward. You know, competing is the reward of my hard work. I've been I've been training forever to be good at something, and people enjoy it. You know, people I get my like after the Polaris title, I got so many messages of people just saying like, "Oh, my son watched you." You know, it's inspirational, and and like when people mess with that, like that makes like to me that's that's massive reward enough. You know, like it's, it's incredible to see that the fact that someone is just doing jujitsu because I'd be if I didn't do jujitsu and get paid for it, I'd work a nine to five job. And I would just do jujitsu every night anyway. Yeah. So you know, uh, everything else is extra. Yeah, it is hundred percent. As in, I feel like I've really achieved what I wanted to achieve in life, and probably more. Um, but every time I compete now, it's just a case of, like, yeah, it's just extra. It's just, it's a bonus, and um, and you know, I get people telling me all the time that you know, like, I could be one of the best in the world, and I could you know compete at the high, you know, I could compete with the best of the best, and the guys who would rank first, second, third in the world. And it never sinks in, you know. I never really feel like I never want to sit there and tell someone that I'm like elite at jujitsu. Like that's not how I feel because I don't feel like myself. I just feel really passionate about jujitsu, and I like to test myself. I'm a competitive person by nature, and every time I compete against someone of a very high level, um, how could you be mad if you lose? That's why I try to tell myself, you know, like these guys are incredible. Like if you played chess or played a game of cards or basically you you, you literally are trialing uh, your hand like you're trialing your wealth of experience and knowledge against someone else's wealth of experience and knowledge and and how they bring it to fruition you know how they how they physically interpret the information in their head so if you battle that against someone else and you lose i don't understand what like what how how could you be mad at yourself? Because that person's obviously worked very hard to be good. And obviously on that given day, what they brought to the table beat what you brought to the table, you know, and, and the only reactions from that should either be, well, Oh cool. I'll just learn more. Or I said, the only thing I think that could defeat an athlete is when you compete against someone and you come off that mat and you feel in your head as if, even if you pause time right now mm-hmm. on that guy and you had another two years and you still think you couldn't beat them, I think that's, that's, a, that's a very demoralizing position to be in. And that's what I, even when I've lost matches in the last two, three years, I never, ever locked up with someone and thought, man, if you pause time right now and give me unlimited time, I couldn't, I couldn't beat this guy. Yeah. And, Weirdly, that's probably what I think people feel like when they fight Gordon. I, 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 I do think because it, it, you know, it is at the end of the day, it's a bit like an equation. It is literally time, you know, times plus experience plus application. Yeah, Again, and it's and it's just your one versus their one. And 100%. I think, but I do think it comes kind of into like an inverted placebo effect when it comes to Gordon because then you're kind of, you know, you're looking at this person. You give a God complex who this person has as if they have some extra technique or extra ability to apply a technique 100%. that you just couldn't attain. So for example, 
do I think he's beatable in some rule sets by some people on his planet? Yes, probably. But the same as if you go if you go back to the initial example of why isn't Evan and Dan his gym a world champion like Gordon? You know, they've gone to the same classes. Because if Dan could produce 10 Gi world champions, why would he choose not to? Yeah, exactly. So if I was Andre Galvao, and I genuinely believe deep down that I would just beat Gordon outright comfortably, why would you choose not to? I mean, so like that's the problem with Gordon. Like I honestly feel like he, you know, he's killing the game, man. And I've got a total hundred um, percent respect for him. I think he's, he's incredible in what he does. And what I love the most about him is he's not just being good at jiu-jitsu. I disagree with some of the stuff he posts um, politically and um, kind of like. But same as Gary Tony, you know, Gary Tony, Gary Tony will openly post and say, like, look, I know maybe you don't like what I'm posting. I post controversial stuff, but then he's not like a public, you know, he's not like yeah. a public figure. But but he is. That's the problem, isn't it? Like, for Jiu-Jitsu, like, same as Conor McGregor, you know, Conor McGregor, like, has got an influence over a massive generation of up-and-coming fighters. And instead of, like, just showing them all that he just works super, super hard, obviously, he chats a lot of... Um, you know, he, he shit talks a lot of people and, and that's how he makes for excitement. But then you've got these up-and-comers doing the same thing without the hard work. Yeah. And for example, that's why I love Gordon Foss because I believe he does show that he works hard. He also shows that he works hard off the mat as well because he does, he's made a successful empire for himself, you know, in terms of like, he bought a million dollar house from jujitsu. Yeah. Like which is mil- un- you know million dollars on jujitsu. They never <laughs> they never used to be together. You know, like I used to get people now, you know, I've competed, I've won three world titles, I compete professionally against the best in the world. And if I tell someone, Oh, I run a martial arts gym, they go, Oh, so what what do you do in the day for a job then? Yeah. I'm like, Oh my god, like you know, and like there's a there's a guy in America who does exactly the same thing as me and, and he's bought a million dollar house. And like you work in like Tesco, and you're telling me that I should get a proper job. I'm like, man, like, wh- how are you going to buy your million dollar house from work like stocking shelves in Tesco? I don't, I don't understand. You know, like, but that's the close mindedness of society. And it's what there was one thing I, I feel like Gordon has exploited really well, and he's really inspired a lot of people with the fact that you know you can build, uh, you can build a very wealthy, successful life for yourself. Um, off of just if you market and target yourself, you know, if you market yourself very well, and in particular, you know, if you um, uh, probably invest very well, if you, you know, if you're doing well at a given time, because that's the problem, especially like UFC. I feel really bad for a lot of UFC athletes because at the end of the day, they can spend their whole life's work to get to UFC, get dropped, and then they literally go, off, they go, they have to just go get a normal job. Which is crazy. That at one point in their, their life, they were they were considered one of the best in the world, and competing with the best in the world. And obviously, you know, when you first probably get two or three fights and you get twenty thousand pound, you're not going to be like, oh, I know what I'm going to do now. I'm going to put this away. I'm going to invest it, or I'm going to put this away and buy a house. You're like, right, where are we going on holidays? Or oh, buy nice cars. I mean, like you might make poor decisions with your money initially. Where obviously, something like Gordon, for example, in my opinion, has shown. Uh, time and time again that you know he's very clever with yeah, what I think, he's doing with everything I think we look at like if we look at kind of our ex-UFC champions for example like I don't see GSP working in I don't know if they've got Tesco in Canada but 
Canadian no, Tesco. No, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot like my best friend. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of UFC guys who've done very, very well from after the after the fact. Uh, but Gordon's one of the first guys who's kind of shown this in jiu-jitsu, You know. Yeah, and and I think that's the thing is that without without people role models, if you will, to example that behavior, yes. it just it will just continue. If if you don't, uh, same with uh, if you apply that to teaching. Yep. If people teach the same way constantly, it's one of the great things about jiu-jitsu is that we're seeing different types of teaching all around the world. And even within the UK, if we kind of do a northeast, southwest divide, I'm sure you'll see variations in each. 100%. And that's like, like for example, like when my gym, my, my actual gym that I run uh, with my coach, Chris, um, our gym was at like a kind of just like a passive like it was kind of doing its own thing for ages. And then I started traveling to America and going to a lot of different gyms. Like that's, you know, that's one of the things I, I attest to my competition mindset again is the fact that I've traveled a lot and I've been to a lot of different gyms. I've trained with a lot of different people. You know, like I still think like um, whether a UK athlete would like to think it or not, but if, for example, a couple of years back, you were a UK athlete and you were fighting a Brazilian, psychologically, you'd automatically think it's just as better than yours. Yeah. Because like, oh, he's from Brazil. His jiu-jitsu is better. Like, America. You'd be like, oh, I'm fighting American. Ah, he must be better at jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is the same everywhere. The literally, the same. I've, I've, I've grappled in Australia, uh, New Zealand. You know, I've, I've grappled all over the world. I've grappled in America. I haven't actually grappled in Brazil, but I've grappled a lot of Brazilians. You know, uh, I did a summer camp a few weeks back in um, Sardinia, and there's people from all over Europe, uh, Poland. You know, I've grappled with people all over the world. And the beautiful thing about jiu-jitsu is it's a universal language. Everyone does it. It's the same. People excel in different things for sure, and that's why I love going to different gyms. Because, like, for example, some gyms they might play a lot of double double um, sleeve, or some gyms they might play like very heavy leg locks. You know, like gyms do specialize for sure. And the more you move around them and you see them, when I was going to different gyms, I come back, I was like, guys, the jujitsu is exactly the same as ours, but they've got they added this, and then. Again, the idea of your pie chart, it's just expanding. You know, you're just getting you get more information and more in depth about every part of the game. And especially when you go to America, you get a very good in-depth view of a business model for a gym. You know, so like I was coming back from from there going, Oh no, we you know we've got to move these kids' classes to this time, you know, we've got to uh do monthly only. You know, there's a lot of gyms still charging per class. Like that, that's madness. That's absolutely wild. Like it's that's an insane thing to be doing running uh jiu-jitsu academy do you mean like but all this helped with my mindset towards competing because i said everything starts back on the mats everything starts with you being comfortable like if you have to win the fight or you have to win the match uh, you're going to perform a lot worse yeah and if it's if it's win or lose at the end of anything Yes. Uh, would you say? And, and the same with, and that's, and um, you know, you kind of going back to the gym, if it's win or lose at the end of the match, if you've come off after a roll, after a five minute roll with someone and you've gone, I have, I've gained nothing from that. hundred percent. Yeah. That is, that's exactly how I feel. Cause I feel like everything you do in jujitsu or externally, like uh, even to the point, like I said, like my gym, uh, doing financially better in terms of being able to pay me a living wage where I don't have to be teaching one-to-ones every single day to, to make ends meet and other stuff. Like the fact my gym could pay me a living wage now means that when I compete, there's a lot less pressure on me. Yeah. 
doing all of these things added up to the fact, you know, if someone's got a very good job and they're just going like, oh, I'm just going to go compete jiu-jitsu and they're just enjoying it. Like the, the only pressure you've got then is on your, is you. you. You are putting internal pressure on yourself because you're expecting X out of yourself and you might be getting Y or Z, you know, like, and that's what I've learned to try to control is expectations versus reality. But that starts in the gym because you cannot touch hands with everyone and expect the world of yourself. It's not how it's not how life works, you know. Is is that how you've kind of uh, has this started in BJJ and you've expanded it out to other aspects of your life? So hundred percent, you are so and just kind of whether it's kind of treating your business as right what are other people doing who are more successful to me than me i'm not going to be able to do exactly the same as them straight away but how how do yeah. i get towards that but that's it expectation. yeah 100 percent. you know like where i look at like what other people are doing i said every aspect whether you think it or not it's very hard just to be like oh I, my you know like the competition outcome is just they, they, it's just a match and that's that they, they, it starts and ends there and it's very hard to do that and although that technically is what you should do and you should treat it as a jiu-jitsu match and the fact that you do jiu-jitsu every day i fully agree with that but is that easy to do you know especially like for example uh, i say to people quite a lot you know like say you've had a bad day in work when you come to jiu-jitsu unfortunately no one cares no one gives the shit no, like when when you have a bad day in work, you gotta come to the gym, and as we, when you walk through the threshold of the gym through the door, you literally be like, like done, change, like man, work doesn't exist anymore. You know, might be having problems at home with your other half or your kids, doesn't exist anymore. You know, you come to the, you come to the gym, and that's your own personal two hours. That's your own two hours that you've got to make progress within the sport. But again, the same as like competing, like competing for me is like you go, you should go out there, and you should have ten minutes just to enjoy yourself. But it's very hard to just go and ignore everything else, you know. But when other elements of your life are doing well, I believe it's easier to go compete and have less pressure on yourself. You know, I couldn't imagine, like, for example, um, like right now, I'm far more comfortable with the idea of a loss than I would have been three years ago. Even though my, I, even though I'm considered a better athlete now and people expect more from me. Back then, though, if I lost, I felt like I felt like you know, if you're in the UFC, I felt like I was on the brink. I felt like if I, every time I lost a match, I was potentially going to get dropped. So when I went to Kasai for the first time, I was so nervous because if I didn't put a good performance in, they would never invite me back. Would they invite me back for a world title tournament? You know, and I'm sure I'll compete there again. You know, like EBI. Every time I go, I was nervous. And they've invited me three times. It's going to be my fourth time in EBI now in two weeks' time. Um, and I've only won one match. I've won one match out of four on there. But Eddie Brower believes I'm, I'm an exciting grappler. Dude, so, like, you, there's, there's, it's not all about the win or loss. It's about doing good jiu-jitsu and just being confident in yourself that, you know, you're performing well. And that's where my strength lies as a competitor. Is I believe that even if I lose, I'll never be in a boring match. And right now, that gives me great comfort because I always think that people will want to watch the matches then and, and shows would want me back on to compete. You know, and like, that's something that you can endlessly chase. Yeah, you hundred percent can. You can be entertaining all day. You know, like it's actually one thing I've um I've discussed with my coaches and, and uh, I actually saw a great article about it with Gary Tonan about Gary Tonan in ADCC. The fact that Gary Tonan is so entertaining um works for and against him because if he just tried to learn the rule, if he just learned the rule set inside out and just sort of win via the rules, he potentially could just win gold. But 
in himself, he, he always wants to be exciting. He always wants to be a good grappler. And I would say I'm, I'm similar in that way in terms of I, I really do want to be entertaining and I want to attack stuff. And like, if it was on squad, you know, I tried like four or five flying submissions. Like, I don't think anyone else tried a single one. What do we have to lose though? We had nothing to lose. It was a five minute match at the end of the day. If you didn't submit him, like, you're not going to be like passing guard all day. You're not going to get anywhere with it. You've got to just go for it and, and see what happens, you know? And I, um, I, I, like, everyone tries to, I guess, I think what you're what you're quite well alluding to is that everyone wants to be. If you try and be Roger Gracie or Gordon Ryan in your head, if you if you think that right, I want to go on and be like, essentially, I want to have never lost a match. Be kind of well. I mean, Conor McGregor maybe isn't the best example now, but like the idea that the perfect run. Yep. Whereas, no, you know, but back at the then, end of the that, day, that's the pressure I was putting on myself. You know, yeah. back a few years ago, I was putting that pressure on myself, and over this time, I've realised that I didn't need that pressure. I didn't need it because I could have just kept performing good jiu-jitsu uh, and being entertaining and enjoying myself. And it, the hard work will pay off. And now, do you mean, like, if I lost the match now, it's not like everyone's going to be like, oh, he's rubbish. We'll never book him again. Like, But that's, again, like the idea of like all other aspects of your life improving. Like The fact that I could lose a match and still have then a good match booked two, three weeks later... Um, is a massive comfort to me because it means I can go out there and just enjoy myself and compete and perform without the stress of oh, if I lose this one, no one's going to know who I am, you know, ever again. So, like again, like the you know my gym improving, there's loads of things that have made my psychological, um, competitive mind better over the years. Um, but you know, I I would say I, I would be in a very very difficult different position. I would be seeing a lot of different things. I believe. If, for example, my gym was was failing, or if I was losing every other match, you know, and I was really struggling to keep motivation up, um, you know, like, but even when you take all those things into account, if I could have gone back and given myself advice, I would have said, well, don't worry about them because they're a byproduct. You you just keep doing what you're doing, keep performing, keep enjoying yourself, uh, and you know it will it will happen, you know. Um, I'm really fortunate that I haven't gone on like a losing streak for a while. Uh, you know, I've lost a ton of matches in the last couple of years. Um, and obviously if I did lose a ton of matches, then I, you know, I'm not really sure how I would react or bounce back, but I'm confident in myself that I could handle a few losses and make the correct decisions to put myself back, uh, in a strong position to start winning matches again and, and perform good again, you know, uh, but it all starts and ends with your team and your gym. You know, like, I got massive faith and confidence in my team and my gym. Uh, I'm very happy where I am. Uh, even though, uh, even like now I've got a couple of black belts I spar with because uh, we've got black belts, you know. But when I first got my black belt, primarily I was sparring blue and purple belts. But that doesn't change how you can perform. It doesn't change what training you can do. If your mindset's strong and your mindset's correct, you can make any session brilliant. It's almost like this, like, oh, can you get strong without the use of a world-class facility gym? Yeah, you, you know, you got to be smart, and it's got to be, it's going to be difficult, and you got, you got to train, train around it. But you can do it, you know. Um, people ask me, you know, do I want to move gym ever? Do I want to go train with world champions and that? And I'm like, no, I, I got what? Why would, why would I consider that right now? I, I've won. You know, I've won a f- quite a few matches now against like guys ranked in the top ten, uh, six, fifth, sixth in the world. So why would I lose faith faith in my team? I've got no reason to. 
you know. And even if I did lose one or two on the bounce, sometimes you you just gotta take you just gotta take that one on you. You gotta go, man. Like I could have performed better. I could have done this. I could have done that. And then look at where you could have made the differences. Um, but yeah, I would like I would say that's quite a good um, long-winded, rounded version of my mindset for competition. Uh, but there's never an easy answer for mindset, is there, you know, because everyone believes in different things um, and everyone thinks differently. Uh, I, I always say, like, like blind faith, like, blind confidence without skill set is dangerous. But then skill set without confidence is also dangerous. Conor McGregor, Gordon Ryan, the perfect match. They're perfect. You know, they've got the skill set, but they've got the confidence that betrays it. Now, too many people, uh, they, 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 vice, uh, they could be both ways around. You know, they, they lack the, the confidence, uh, but they have got the skill set. You know, you these guys would be like the gym killers, you know, like the guys who are doing really well in the gym but don't compete very well. But then you've got these other guys then who, like, literally think they can walk on water. They call never out into the sun, think they're fantastic. Then they step up a level of competition and realize their skill set is lacking. And that's a trap you don't you definitely do not want to you need to keep yourself humble in that respect. You need to keep thriving to be good at jiu-jitsu and improve your technique all the time. Um so that doesn't happen to you, you know. And uh before we get onto our quick fire, just yeah. in terms of competing as a team and uh in like when you go into the Polaris teams format, squads format, and also just generally as your team, as like your home gym, you know, how do you then do you extrapolate that? I guess with your own personal gym, you can kind of uh, nurture a mindset and a kind of uh, team. It, yeah, man, we've been running pro sessions since lockdown. We've actually started a pro session, you know, like after six, eight weeks of the first lockdown, we, we were in pro classes for all the series competitors. And, um, you know, we kind of just sat down initially and just kind of put, put like exactly what we, we were planning on doing and saying, like, this is the goal, this was happening. And, you know, every every two, three weeks, you know, like we might sit down, have a chat as a team, do a Q&A and ask people how they're feeling. Um, you know, I, not everyone's got to share the same mindset as you, but everyone's going to be focused on the same goal. You know, everyone being goal-oriented and, and thriving for the similar thing. I think that is what makes a great team, you know. It really does, like, um, but you've got to be equally... Um, able to tell your team when they're not performing as when they are performing. Yeah. You know, I'll always be the first guy on the mat to tell someone they're lazy if they're being lazy. You know, if someone's settled around, just get out of the gym. Like, man, do you think I'm not tired? I am tired, but like you you can't sit down. I'm not sitting down. You know, like, and I tell everyone like you need to physically and mentally outwork everyone in that room. And that's the that's the real like like thing I push hard on my competitive guys is the fact that they should physically and mentally outwork everyone in the room, not just physically or mentally. They need to do both. Um, and then when it came to like the, I love Polaris squads, but I thought it was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed the, um, the format and it was really fantastic. I think the only thing that would have made that better is, um, is a crowd. Like a, cr- a crowd really would have brought that, brought that um, home, you know, and brilliant. Um, but we didn't really talk that much as a team before the event, train together as a team before the event, you know, because of lockdown stuff. I think next time if there was that, environment we'd all go train together get the atmosphere going and then we could discuss more kind of like our 
how we're going to approach the event. Uh, it was kind of all kind of just like we met on the day and kind of like, oh, who wants to go first? And like, no one really volunteered. So I said, oh, I'll just go first. You know, I get, I get out there, get out of the way, let's get it done. You know, let's just get get, get the ball rolling. Um, but as the time went on, I felt like we were more uh, more support of each other and we were getting more involved and we were like, yeah, and we were really enjoying each other's performances. Um, and it was nice that the pressure just wasn't on just one person's shoulders, you know? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliant, but I said, unfortunately, we didn't really have the prep time together that would have allowed for uh, that co- cohesion as a team, you know? I think I think something that you mentioned that um, people forget as well is kind of, it's, it's very easy to be, say, I want to be, people kind of use physical attributes to describe beating someone. I want to be stronger than they are. I want to be faster than they are. Um, and when they see themselves going forward, they are, I want to be a stronger competitor, a faster competitor. But in terms of mentality as well, people forget, you know, you very rarely hear say people say, I want to be at this point where I mentally want to be able to like outwork uh, someone. I want to break someone mentally in front of yeah, me. That's that, that's li- like, I thrive on that. That's like my favorite thing is to try to break someone's will. Yeah. Because, once you break someone's will, you've won. There's no more match. There isn't, they've lost. That's why I said, if I go to someone and say, do you want to roll? And they go, oh, I just go, oh, cool, don't worry. Just go, just go and find someone easy. Yeah. No stress, but that's that's cool because your mindset's not in, it's not in the game, you know? Yeah. And um, I do agree with you, like on, on the mats and when you compete and stuff, it's not discussed enough. And I, we, I, a lot more people are talking about it openly now and, and um, pushing for it. Um the one thing I would say on that, and especially if someone does listen to this podcast, you know, um, is you've always got to think about what Gordon was doing before he was Gordon. Yeah. Uh, too many people fix it on what the person's doing right now. They're like, oh, he trains this now, so I'll do that. It's like, whoa, but he, you know, like it seems like building a house. You don't build a second floor before you put the foundations in. So, like, you still need to be doing, like, your mind is not just going to change overnight like that. You know, you're not just going to develop all these skills and all this thought process. You need to give yourself sufficient time, which is why I spoke earlier about the expectations versus reality. Yeah. That's the biggest one I could give. A- if I could give anyone any single advice about your just training, it would always be the expectations of reality when you go to the gym because that is what's going to motivate or demoralize you, and that's what's going to keep your ego in check. You know, and that, that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't want to just look at where people are right now. You need to look at the path they took. Yeah. Uh, a good a good story I have for this is before lockdown, I was training a lot of wrestling and someone, we were sitting down and someone said, oh, you know what? Like, I, I just want to, like, I'm, I'm really struggling, like, when it comes to the rounds. Uh, I just want to be, what? And he was then asking, like, people, oh, well, what are you doing? What are you doing that's making you so good? And he was like, oh, he's so much faster than me and he's so much stronger than me. And he, and then kind of coach turned around and said, well, no, he said like, I'm not much, much stronger than this guy. And this guy looks much weaker than me goes, but that guy will keep pushing Yep. and he will keep pushing until he goes. And this guy, this guy will like, you know, will keep snapping you down. Something like that. And it's that kind of people know their strengths and know their weaknesses. But what differentiates people sometimes is just the fact that, when you're ready to stop, yep, they, they won't Even, win or lose. That that is that that is literally what um, it, you know. Some people, some people say like people have got it or haven't got it. It's not true, man. 
you can you can learn you can learn to and, be uh you like, build that brick by brick yeah oh 100 like uh, like uh the, my favorite example for that would be like um running for example you know like if you stop every time you get tired how how your expectations the fact that you'll eventually be able to run a marathon it's not possible. You have to keep pushing for one step further every time. So I tell people all the time when they roll in jiu-jitsu, say you get tired after one round. Well, now, don't just get tired in that one round. Kill yourself in that round. Make that round the only round of the day. Don't try to spread out your tired across five rounds. Just kill yourself. Because one day you'll be able to do this round and then half of this round. Then one day you'll be able to do this round and this round. But if you spread your tide across the whole round, you actually you 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 probably never ever get to the point where you can outpace someone for a singular round. Yeah, because you've got to build on that, you know. And you can expand that even further. I mean, you can go right. Well, uh, so you're stuck under, you know, you're inside control, and you're like working up to a single. It's like right. Well, push yourself, push yourself. Even if you don't. Ah. If, push, if you push, push fail. yourself yeah, and then if you fail at that point right well then you've pushed yourself for that and then you expand that to the round push them push them don't let and uh, then you just man, keep building on the building i that. could not agree with that more when the guys spar me they say i'm like um i'm like quicksand the problem is they'll get out once or twice but i'll just keep sucking them back in like like, yeah. a, like a, a black hole you know i literally am just like relentless you pull me down i'm like back up pass push me up pass again like I won't say I, I call it possession. I call it like control and possession jiu-jitsu. But essentially, I want possession. Like similar to like football or rugby, you know they can't just do it in football. Imagine a football, the ball got turned on football. If all the players work, we just went poof, and they all like right, we've got to get the ball back. Yeah. Like the problem with football is because there's so many people on the pitch and the way they can spread the ball out, that would be a very difficult task to do. But in jiu-jitsu, you can actually do it. You can actually keep the ball at all times. You can always go, man, oh, I've, I I got, I, I lost this little battle. Then you go, right, like work rate goes up until I get it back. And if your work rate goes up and, and you lose, perfect. Because eventually your work rate will go up and up and up and you will win. I, I think people, you know, we, we, the, we look at the kind of upper echelon of this, like people like Khabib. Like we look Man, at it and, uh, and we, yeah you know the obviously the technique and all of and and the 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 physical attributes and all that stuff is phenomenal but at the end of the day the reasons that he breaks people is because he's just relentless and oh, he, he just anything and if you sure. can outwork anything it's it yeah it's something that hopefully and i think funny enough as a kind of small nation um uk jiu-jitsu will probably get better at because you know you find that areas we see kind of australia is growing more technically and things like that and we'll see that different people develop different things and i think mentality is something that we can bring to the table 100 percent, 100 percent. uh right um before we go on to the quick fire uh i was going to ask you um if you're going to recommend a book uh what are you reading at the moment or something that you read that you wanted to you suggest to people currently i believe if you haven't read the darren brown book you should that would be my absolute goal to um, – I feel like I learned more in that book about mindset than I have in anything else so far. Um, and for jiu-jitsu in particular, I think it's brilliant because it's so logical. Mm-hmm. That's what – like for me, like boxing is illogical because the outcome of doing something wrong is getting hit in the face really hard. So I – like and that's just my personal opinion. I can't logically see how you could use trial and error in boxing. 
Yeah. Do you mean because you, you, the punishment? Like, I enjoy like like maybe not the best looking guy in the world, but I want to keep it at least at that. Do you mean I don't want to get worse looking mm-hmm. for sure? And I don't want my brain to take damage over time. I definitely don't. Man, your brain is your best tool in the world. It's the thing that controls everything else you do. Why would you want to take damage to it? So like for me, like. And this is one example of sports. Like I can't, I've tried to turn my hand to stand up and I've tried to do striking, but it feels illogical. Well, like in jiu-jitsu, I always say to someone, no matter what bad position you're in, you can always play logic. Yeah. Because it's, it's a game of mechanics. It's a game of leverage. Like, and the way Dan Brown almost explains everything in his book is he just tries to never be illogical. Do you mean that's Interest- what? I think it's brilliant, really. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, as a funny anecdote, uh, I once we went. Uh, I love Darren Brown, and we went to and saw him on stage, and he was doing a whole thing about um, faith healers. Yep. And uh, uh, and so uh, I had what was I doing? I think I was having a knee injury. Funny enough, from leg lock. Surprise, surprise. And uh, he was like, "Oh, if anyone's got an injury, I come up." It's like well fuck it you know you're gonna go for it yeah. anyway pulls up us on stage uh it ended up with me like 10 feet in the air with my arms in like the jesus position my mom crying in the crowd um <laughs> uh but he does he does this whole thing about like at the beginning he plays kind of your classic like i think it was rocky high pop music and like beaming gold light at you yeah and it was like well and and then just making you and then kind of inciting that good feeling but behind all of that mirage it's just there's just basic kind of technical like even even the placebo effect there's well, reason to it he, there's he, logic talk, to he it. talks about all of his, his techniques in the book and all of what he he's saying there uh all what you're describing there what he did is like combination of five or six different things he explains how he does it and the the music the lights and everything um is all to do with uh changing your outlook your mental outlook on that given part of he said that you can overcome fears and phobias and stuff really with that those exact techniques um and i'm sure you know, placebo and other stuff and suggestibility man but it, it, is, it is incredible it's really interesting it's, it's really interesting uh okay quick fire round yeah um so uh first one uh dream matchup for next year 2021 oh that's not very quick fire um Gianni Grippo, maybe uh, no Gio Martinez. Gio Martinez, Gio. That, okay. That's perfect. Yeah, that's one. The one that I definitely want to see. Uh, Asai, yay or nay? Y- yes, but plain with just like fruit, no nuts, no peanut butter. I don't like dried nuts. peanut butter. Yeah, I don't like nuts, so that's why I say no nuts. But yeah, Asai for sure. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, takedowns or guard pulls? Ah, oh, takedowns all day. Uh, I feel like you've answered this one. ADCC or IBJJF? Uh, ADCC. Let's see. Uh, this is less quick fire, but if you're going to build your dream Polaris team, like any competitor around the world. What, around the whole world? Around the whole world. Oh, flip it, just put Gordon in there. Yeah. <laughs> and then just, just line up the other team for slaughter. Just line up the other team for slaughter, I suppose. No, it would just have to be like uh, Gordon, Craig Jones, Sandra Gavau, uh, maybe... Um, uh, Felipe Pena, depending on how he's how he's feeling, um, 
And then if it's light, guys, well, if it's heavy and light, uh, I put myself on the team only because I'm allowed to. Like, should I be in the team probably in these conditions? No, but I'm going to put myself in there because I can. Um, and then probably like, uh, I'll actually bring back half of Mendes because I, I still think he's slower half the half the world right now. Um, and then Gary Tone and JT Torres. Um, and I'll give us four. Yeah, so those four most four. Yeah, I think that would be a pretty, pretty sick team. Imagine coming up against that. But I told you, uh, put Gordon in there, I'm not competing. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a sub- uh, submission that you've always wanted to pull off in competition? Um, a trick platter. <laughs> or a flying triangle. One of those two, because I hit, I hit them all the time in training. It's insane how many times I hit my training, but I'm yet to do it in tournament. I feel that flying triangle was is is coming. Oh, but it's I'm sad. I'm so close. Like I just 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 more confidence. I I just I won't back myself enough. I I, I should have gone for it harder. But yeah, for sure. Those two. Um, uh, we got two more. Where do we get to? Uh, if someone was to play you in a movie, uh, who would play you, and what movie would it? What kind of movie would it be? Uh I don't like maybe a never back down style movie about jujitsu though, like because I've been out of shape forever and I just started training way harder. And obviously, I come from like a rubbish little town where nobody's known, so I don't know, something like that. Um, and I don't know, Tom Hardy or something. Tom Hardy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a cool. He's a bit big, like he's a bit big for me, but you know, it'll, it'll do. It's fine. He can. He can. I'm, I haven't heard him with a Welsh accent, but I'm sure. He could I'm sure do. he could. I'm sure. Yeah. He could do. Um. And then as a final one and a more kind of serious note, uh, what does BJJ mean to you? If you were to dis- like describe to people, what does BJJ mean uh, to you? I think if, to be honest, it means the same for a lot of people where it's not really just a hobby, it's your lifestyle. You know, like um, I feel like you couldn't take jujitsu out of my life. Like I think a lot of the things you could just go like, oh, I could do without that. You know, I could not do that. I could not learn to live without it, you know, but like, uh, I w- I also I do it whether I earn money from it or not. I think that's the biggest difference about jujitsu for me is the fact that a lot of other things are motivated via, via external um, motivators. Where jujitsu is fully intrinsic. The way it makes me feel, the like I can't like um, I know it's like, like it sounds really cliche, but people say like, it's like expressing like it's an art expression. You know, like I actually don't like art as in like normal like, picture art, you know, but like for me jujitsu is art. It's just it's um it's an incredible thing to be able to do with your body. And I've never met something so addictive in my life. You know, I've never seen something so like it's like I don't know, it's like the ultimate drug of the sports world, I suppose. Like you can't you can't solve it. You know, you can't. F- there's no pinnacle. There's no end. Like, it's th- it's the it's the it's the beauty it's the beauty of it, and it's the worst thing about it, because you can never complete it. It's like you know, it's like, like a Rubik's cube. You can you can solve. You know, like um, rugby and teams. You know, there's those are team sports. Jiu-Jitsu is you and you alone, and I love that about it. You know, because. I always think I, I tell people all the time: if your coach shouts on the side of the mat, you know, do this, and you just follow that blindly advice, that blind advice, and you lose, it, it's still actually your fault. Yeah. It's not your coach's fault because you are in the you're in the driver's seat. You're in the, everything about it is you. Do you mean so? Like, um, and the fact that I get to inspire people to do the sport, and the fact that, like, you know, a kid might come up to you now and go, like, oh, when I'm older, I want to do jujitsu like you do jujitsu. You know, like. When I was a kid and I went to jujitsu, people thought I was a rid- I was an idiot. They were like, "No, it's going to get a job," you know. So like, 
I think the fact that it's really it changes you know people's life lifestyles and it really gives people um, an escape almost you know like uh, I know a lot of people who work nine to five and the best three hours of the day are at the gym. And I really do know that's true. So like and I don't think um, I don't think anything else is quite that level of addiction that people do it four, five, six days a week as a hobby as a hobby you know that's wild so uh no it doesn't mean everything to me and i wouldn't i would never not do it and i always say that you know if i got like flipping paralyzed or like a bad accident anything if i lost use of my arm like i would do jiu-jitsu and, and lose i would still do jiu-jitsu i'd have to I, I couldn't imagine not doing it you know um and even if i became one lottery i would still just do jiu-jitsu yeah that's and probably then, the best description you can get <laughs> Yeah, it's just I don't know what what I would do without it, really. You know, so like, um, and I tell everyone, like everyone I ever speak to about jujitsu, who if they don't do jujitsu, I'm just like, look, like you've got nothing to lose by trying it, and it's lit. Yeah. Like, that's that's the best way I can explain trying jujitsu to anyone because, like, if someone said we try this food and I never tried and I go, I don't like it, I know that's ridiculous, but people would do that with sport and other things all of the time. Do you mean it's just it doesn't need to be a thing? Like the best thing about jiu-jitsu is the fact that you have nothing to lose by trying it. You know, so yeah, yeah. it is an ultimate. I think people forget. Uh, it's so hard to explain to someone like that idea of expression. Like I can look at a painting, and be shrug my shoulders, and be like, oh, "It's just paint on a canvas." But you look at jujitsu, and you're like, "I can see something. I can see so much in that." But it's so hard to explain to people. A hundred percent, and like your appreciation for other people's ability within the sport, like I, it mine's no end. I love, um, I love watching people do it to a good level. I really do enjoy watching people do it, and I'm like, man, that's just so beautiful. You know, like, like their control and their athleticism and everything else is is incredible. Cool. Well, let's finish on that note. Thank you very much for coming on, and uh, good luck for EBI. Um, I hope you really really slap people really hard in the face as well as kind of I, i've got i have done i've done interview for it yeah but i'm pretty much going for the approach of tko or don't win <laughs> so, uh, I, don't know. We'll I don't know if i don't know if uh there's there's betting happen but i reckon i can i can sort out some odds and we'll, we'll smash it it's like ash williams by tko every round well, I, I really feel like that's what I want is a TKO. I, I, I'd have if I lose second or third round, but I get a TKO. I think that'd be really cool. And EBI is like a, um, uh, it's like I, I explained to someone the other day. They said, oh, "What is it like?" And I'm like, "Well, imagine you're a rugby player and you, you know, you play. There's league and there's union. You know, which would be like gi and nogi or whatever. And then you know, there's sevens. Like everything sounds exciting to watch. Everything's just really cool to watch." You can't name any of the players. You don't really watch it religiously, but when it's on, it's there's excitement fun. and man, shit goes down there, you know? So like for me, like it's no brainer to not to, to do EBI. Why not just get in there, have some fun in there, just go out, show my game and uh, win, lose, draw, whatever. Yeah, it's cool to win. Obviously, I'd like to win EBI. It's, it's on my list of things to do, but am I going to lose sleep over not winning it? No, because, you know, my passion lies in legal union you know so like for me it's just like a sandstorm where you go out with the boys and you just have some fun <laughs> well we'll leave it at that thank you very much man cheers man take it easy All right.